South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington, working on this program very remote. Here are some of the top stories, making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Thursday, July 14, 2022. Some lawmakers in South Sudan call on President Salva Kiir to address insecurity in Eastern Equatorial State. There is a rampant and clandestine secret killing, which is making the population panic. And that is what we don't want. And some residents of Bintu in Unity State protest President Kir's decision to suspend dredging activities on River Nam. For us, that order uh, is not good for us as a Bintu community. Uh, that order is not possible to be because we are suffering as a community. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Some members of parliament from Eastern Equatorial State in the National Legislative Assembly are calling on President Salva Kiir to address insecurity in parts of the state. The members of parliament also requested the national government to replace some security personnel in the area after the recent killing of a chief in the border town of Nimule. For VOA News, worker Simon Wudu has more from Juba. At a news conference in Juba yesterday, 22 MPs in the national legislature representing Eastern Equatorial State said the national government should do something about rampant insecurity in Eastern Equatorial. Lawmaker Victor Omuho Ohide reading from a joint statement by the MPs at the National Legislative Assembly said people are fleeing to neighboring Uganda because of violence in the state. There is a rampant and clandestine secret killing, which is making the population panic. And that is what we don't want. And this is why we said it should be investigated. They are fleeing because there was already a conflict sparked out by the killing of a chief in Nimule. A chief was killed in Nimule and, uh, by a security, so-called alleged, alleged security person. That is why we are even calling for, that is why we are calling for the replacement of all the security agencies that are stationed in those areas because they are passionate. The recent violence prompted the state governor, Louis Lobong, to temporarily relocate his office from the state capital, Torit, to Nimule in order to address the security situation. On Monday, when members of the Madi community were meeting in the office of Nimule traditional chief, John Ebele, to discuss burial arrangements for two men killed over the weekend, a young man suspected of being from Ural sought and killed the chief. The same day, unidentified gunman sought Nimule Town Police Inspector Major David Casmiro in the lake as police tried to calm angry residents who were protesting over the chief's killing. Last week, two days of cattle raids in Kapoitan North County left at least 240 people dead. And unidentified empty cattle keepers, last week we are accused of killing two men abducted in Mugali village of Nimule Payam. The lawmakers attribute the stepped-up violence to an influx of empty cattle herders in the state. Several recent classes have occurred between cattle herders from Jungle State and farmers in Eastern Equatorial State, especially in Magui County and Nimule. The farmers have repeatedly accused the cattle keepers of destroying their crops. 
state authorities ordered herders to return to their places of origin. The lawmakers say while some cattle keepers have left, others remain in the state. In May, President Kir sent a high-level security team to Magui County, led by the Chief of Defense Forces, General Santino Wall, Inspector General of Police, General Majak Akech Malok, and the Director of Internal Security Bureau, General Akolkur Kuch, to try to calm the security situation. But the lawmakers say the effort did not stop in security in the area. Grace Abalang is another member of the Eastern Equity State Parliamentary Caucus, who addressed the reporters in Juba Wednesday. It's not the first time the president have directed the security, high-level security committee. You know, for the first one in Mogali, the same president directed, but now a chief is killed. So that's why we SMPs are saying, repeating it again, that investigation have to be done and culprits break to book. Julius Moilinga is the chairperson of the Eastern Equatorial State Parliamentary Caucus. I would say in other terms, the president has been very good to all of us. It is time for him to increase the size of his stick and lessen the size of the carrot. Because how long are we going to continue like this? On Tuesday, President Kir met with his security affairs advisor, army commanders, and the heads of other organized forces to discuss the security situation in eastern Equatorial state, particularly the recent violence in Nimule. The Kir administration condemned the killing of the local chief and directed security leaders to address the situation with immediate effect, including the arrest of the suspected killers. A suspect was arrested in connection with the chief's murder. Local media reports quote military spokesman Major General Lulroy Kwang as saying President Kir has ordered the deployment of soldiers to quell tensions in Nimule. For VON News, I'm Simon Wudu in Juba. American investor has pledged to support local farmers and improve food production in Lake State. Kisling Farms in the Midwestern state of Kansas says he will work with a women's group to provide some farmers in Lake State with seeds and plowing equipment. For VOA News, William Sande Mabor has more from Rumbek. Doug Kisling, chief executive officer of Kisling Farms, is in Rumbek of Lake State to meet with the farmers as he conducts a survey on food security needs and to determine which crops to grow in the state. I'm here to make that survey to try to figure out the major food insecurity points and how that we can correct them. And I do know that there are other organizations working on this, but because of other circumstances around the world and global politics, um, that those all of those organizations are under much stress, in or, and so some of their funding is being cut. The Kisling Farm was established in 1876 and farmed by the Kisling family for five generations. It is located on the Sante Fair Trail. Kisling Farms grows wheat, corn, soya beans, grain sorghum, and grasses on 2,500 hackers in and around Chese, Kansas. Kisling arrived in South Sudan on Tuesday following an invitation by the Rumbek Women's Group, their foundation, which support agricultural activities. They are says he will provide an initial $1 million 
asked the group to support an agricultural project that will employ 100 young people. One of the main reasons it's important to visit Rumbek and Lake States is because this area grows a lot of sorghum and some other crops. Um, and the DR Foundation's major campaign, South Sudan Will Never Starve Again campaign, focuses on how agriculture can feed all of the 10 million people plus in South Sudan. And so with agriculture and a little bit of hope from all of the people, we know that we can make a large difference in the food instability um, in this country. Kisling says he will provide local farmers with the seeds, tillage equipment, and tractors in the first stage of the project. John Mark McCoy Marial, an administrator at the DR Foundation, says his group will invest Kisling's donations to cultivate 200,000 hectares of land in Lake State with a view towards feeding millions of South Sudanese. McCoy says the DR Foundation has already allocated 50,000 hectares of land for growing crops to feed the people of South Sudan. We wanted to encourage local food production so that we become food secure. And by addressing this issue of food insecurity, we will have addressed even the issues of rebellion because our mentality or the basic approach is that an angry stomach, you know, the mentality it can affect it can affect even the thinking capacity of human being when you are starving so hunger has killed more than even the violent war in south sudan mccoy says while working to boost food production his group also want to empower women with the work skills in health care education and agriculture so that they can become self-reliant i have been mobilizing the communities to turn up for uh, agriculture production because we are tired of depending on the international aid. You have seen now the international community is withdrawing, is reducing the support to South Sudan. So the best alternative is to uh, tap on agriculture, which is untapped by the way. Our economy is a rent-paid economy. We are much dependent. More than 80% of the total population depends on subsistence farming. So we wanted to strengthen this subsistence farming to become more locally productive in such a manner that we do not starve to death again. Kisling says he will bring more than 40 U.S. investors, business owners, and CSOs of other companies to South Sudan to help in different sectors of the economy. For VOA News, I am William Sandemabur, reporting in Rumbek, Lake State. From Rumbek, we move to Bantu, where some residents of the Unity State Capital are protesting against President Salva Kiir's decision to suspend dredging activities on River Nam. Some of the protesters marched to River Nam and started cleaning it using locally improvised tools. The protesters requested President Kiir to address the problem of flooding in Unity State. For VOA News, Wake Simon Wudu has more from Juba. Some residents of Bentiu March to River Nam in Unity State's Rukona County today to protest President Kirk's announcement on Saturday that dredging activities were suspended in the Sut wetlands until environmental and social impact assessments are carried out. Several video clips posted on a Facebook page by a group of activists that focus on rampant flooding in the state saw men, women, and children singing songs and cutting down grass in the Nama River with the pangas, slasers, and hoes. 
The people then gathered the cut grass and removed them from the river. Peter Guy Ball, who took part in the activity, says Bentiu residents want to dredge the river to ensure it's safe for travel and to control flooding, which he says has displaced many residents from their villages. For us, that order uh, is not good for us as a Bentiu community. Uh, that order is not possible to be because we are suffering as a community. All our animals, they are all died. Even the garden, no one can dig the garden. Uh, no food. Even now, the state government is, uh, is trying to, to give some little food to the community, but not enough. Organizers of the campaign say today marks the first day of their mission to manually dredge the river Nam. They say it's a protest against the President Kerr's decision to suspend dredging activities. The locals say the grass, among other things, in the river makes it impossible for water to flow downstream, causing flooding in many villages. They also say it blocks river transportation. Nyacheding is another resident who participated in today's cleaning of the river Nam. Speaking in Arabic, she says people are frustrated by the government's lack of intervention on flooding. So far, we are two years staying in Kilokamistashara in Bentiu. Our life here is not fine. We say once the river is cleaned, it can help us on many things. We will be able to drink clean water. Even it can make navigation easier, and even all the flood waters that have displaced us would find their way into the Nile. Kao Kong, chairperson of the campaign, says today's exercise is a form of protest against the president's decision to suspend dredging activities. People on the ground have felt a little bit displeased and disappointed from the president's statement. The statement that has been issued last week uh, as Go down a lot of uh, no hope the people who are in the ground, uh, especially the, the affected uh, people by the plot, the state. So this statement failed to convince the people who are in the ground. Since there is no assurance that when will the commencement of the scientific research start? Kuang says the protest is a wake-up call to the people of Unity State to dredge the river themselves. He says there has been no intervention from the national government to address the challenges locals have faced as a result of flooding over the past two years. In Unity State, as far this time, there is no movement. There is no locomotion. Second thing, there are a lot of diseases. The third thing is like there is no agricultural means of practices. Uh, the fourth thing is that there is no children. And the fifth thing is that there is very de- greater deterioration of health. People cannot reach a proper health or a primary health. Kuang says Unity State residents want the CARES administration to come up with a timeline of activities for dredging the river. Several parts of northern South Sudan experienced widespread flooding in recent years with no solutions offered by the government. According to the United United Nations, around 1 million people in South Sudan were affected by flooding last year alone. For VNO, Zamwaki Simon Wudu in Juba.
you are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, the signatory to Sudan's Juba Peace Comprehensive Agreement say they will not be part of negotiations in Sudan. Find out why after the break. South Sudan in Focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. The Sudanese Revolutionary Front, an umbrella group of nine armed opposition which signed the 2020 Juba Peace Agreement, have issued a warning against any political process that interferes with the deal. The group says it won't take part in any political dialogue that excludes Sudan's military rulers. For VOA News, Michael Atit reports from Khartoum. Speaking on Al Sharq TV channel in Khartoum on Tuesday, Osama Said, a spokesperson for the Sudan Revolutionary Front, said the political crisis can only be resolved through a dialogue and participation of all parties. Said says the military must remain a key player in any political process in Sudan. Last week, Sudanese Lieutenant General Abdul Fattah al Burhan announced the military would withdraw from the UN mediated talks and pull out of Sudan's political process more generally. Generally. The announcement came eight months after Al-Burhan led a military coup on the government of former Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdok. Said says the Revolutionary Front will not participate in talks limited to civilian forces only because, in his word, it will not bear fruit. Speaking to South Sudan in focus in Khartoum, Salma Al-Nur, spokesperson for the Central Committee of the Forces for Freedom and Change Coalition, or FFC, said civilian forces do not want to interfere with the Juba Peace Agreement because it helps silence the guns in Sudan. Al-Nur says the FFC is ready to take part in any dialogue that will end the arrest of political activists that lead to the release of political detainees and ensures that a civilian-led government is restored in Sudan. The use of excessive force against the protesters and arbitrary arrests of civilian politicians must stop immediately. We believe that without fulfilling these conditions, there is no need to begin any dialogue. Anur says since the military contributed to the crisis in Sudan, it is important to engage military leaders in talks. We don't expect to reach any political settlement without the participation of the military component because they are the ones who planned a coup against the civilian government in October 2021. They should take up this responsibility to end the current crisis. Political analyst Izadin Arbab says any effort that interferes with the Juba peace deal will aggravate the situation. Speaking to this program by phone from Khartoum, Arbab says armed group that signed the Juba peace deal and joined the transitional government will dialogue with the military because they understand each other well. 
Every negotiation process that led to the signing of the Juba peace deal was conducted by the military, and therefore the military became like the main partner during the implementation process. Any interference with the Juba peace agreement will escalate the crisis more, and that will even give more authority to the military to come back and control everything once again, and might call for an early election. Arbab called on the trilateral mechanisms of the United Nations, the African Union, and the Intergovernmental Authority on Development to continue convincing all parties to continue taking part in talks aimed at reaching a political settlement to end the Sudanese crisis. Officials mediating the dialogue announced last week that they would continue with their isolated consultations, announce a way forward after the eid of a lot of festivities. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit. In Khartoum. While Ethiopia's civil war has not reached the capital Addis Ababa, rights groups say authorities have detained thousands of Tigrayans last year in waves of ethnically motivated arrests. For VOA News, Henry Wilkins reports. With African Union headquarters based here, Addis Ababa appears as a modern international city, prompting some to call it the continent's diplomatic capital. But rights groups say tensions are boiling beneath the surface from Ethiopia's war with Tigrayan forces that saw thousands of Tigrayans last year arbitrarily arrested and abused after the government accused some Tigrayans in the capital of being undercover agents. Biwe spoke to a Tigrayan man who shared his experience on the condition of anonymity for fear of political retaliation. He said he was released in February after being jailed in the capital for three months in a makeshift prison. The police might have moved things that you might get kicked. There are a lot of ways you are kicked. I personally also was kicked one day for, for doing nothing. I did nothing. I was about to take a shower. Guys who were kicked a lot of times. They only need a reason to be kicked. Rights groups such as Amnesty International say ethnically motivated detentions increased days after the government declared a state of emergency in early November, following threats by Tigrayan forces to attack the city. Samur, who declined to give his full name, is one of the capital's many Tigrayan residents. He says he fled to Uganda in March after being held for nearly three months in a prison in Addis Ababa. Astonishing, you know, to, to learn that there were kids with us, with, with us there. I, I specifically remember this kid, he was in grade seven, he barely began high school, you know, and he wasn't even born in Tigray. His father is a Tigray and he, his mother is not even Tigray. In May, the death in custody of a Tigrayan general and a former commander in the African Union mission in Somalia, General Gebremedin Fikadu, sparked protests in the capital. Reuters reported in June at least 15,000 Tigrayans were detained between November and February and that 17 died in custody, some after being taken from the capital to a prison in the town of Mizan Teferi. VOA spoke with another Tigrayan who withheld his name, who recalls the state of inmates transferred from the Mizan Teferi prison to his prison. He says at Mizan Teferi, five prisoners had to share one loaf of bread and two litres of water for three days, which is about one glass of water per person per day, he says. He adds that all were in terrible condition and were very hungry and thirsty. VOA could not independently verify the reported deaths and allegations of abuse while in custody. 
The state-funded human rights organisation Ethiopian Human Rights Commission claims all Tigrayans held arbitrarily in the capital have been released. All the arrests, mass arrests during that happened during was that period are connected in relation in particular to the state of emergency um, have been um, have ceased since the lifting of the state of emergency around February. Ethiopia lifted its six-month state of emergency in February, but the commission in late June confirmed reports that 9,000 Tigrayans are still being held in the town of Samara and called for their immediate release. Ethiopia's government did not respond to VOA's request for comment, but has in the past denied any ethnically motivated arrests or abuse of Tigrayans. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Authorities in South Africa have arrested the owner of a bar and two employees in connection with the deaths of 21 teenagers who lost their lives at a tavern last month under mysterious circumstances. Vicky Stach reports from Cape Town. A team of detectives working on the case made the arrests. Officials say the three suspects face charges of violating the Liquor Act while a forensic investigation into the cause of the deaths continues. The two employees, ages 33 and 34, have been fined $118, while the owner must appear in court for his alleged role in selling alcohol to minors. The 21 youths, the youngest of whom was just 13 years old, died in the early hours of Sunday, June 26. Some had been celebrating the end of mid-year exams. There is speculation they ingested something poisonous, or were the victims of a gas leak. Others at the tavern made it to hospital where they were treated for headaches and vomiting and discharged after observation. Police have appealed for patience as the investigation continues. The 52-year-old bar owner will appear in the East London Magistrates Court in the Eastern Cape Province on August 19th. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. message in the public interest from VOA Africa. Hello, I'm VOA health correspondent Lina Mudu. The World Health Organization and U.S. Centers for Disease Control say coughing and sneezing can spread COVID-19. Physical distancing, staying at least one meter away from people outside your family, can protect everyone. For more information, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest on COVID-19. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. And that's all we prepared for you this Thursday. We now take you to Sudan's Blue Nile State with the song Jamila by Arababa Group.
listening to Herababa Group from Sudan's Blue Nile State. I'm John Tanza in Washington. Thanks to Nabil Biajo. Thanks to Nabil Biajo for sitting in for me during my two weeks visit to Juba. Join us again tomorrow evening for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.